Have you tried changing your health year on year, resolving that this year things are going to be different, but nothing seems to change? Oftentimes, when things are not changing, we're following many wellness myths and not looking at the full picture, including our nutrition, recovery, stress management, leaving out mind-body connection. I want to introduce you to Wellness Redefined, a new podcast from Refillion Media that's here to dispel all your myths about wellness and fitness while sharing stories of how we redefine what it means to be healthy. On each episode, we'll be talking to experts from all walks of life who will share their own unique wellness journey and offer their perspective. I am your host, Tamika Rochester, founder and CEO of Harlem Cycle, a premier wellness space in New York City with a focus on indoor cycling. I've been an advocate for wellness since as early as I can remember. So if this sounds like something that could help change your life, go ahead and pause the show you're listening to and subscribe to Wellness Redefined on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Inclusive Collective, where we share stories and learnings of inclusive people, organizations, and innovation, and in general, just have a damn good time. I'm your co-host, Rob Hadley, a people and culture strategist specializing in DEI and people analytics. Join me today is our co-host, the Nadia Butt, an organizational development and belonging specialist. Nadia, how are you? Right, I'm good. I feel like I miss you. Like I know we talk every every week on this, but I feel like we haven't had like real like talk. Well, you're just so, too busy. I think you're just doing too I've many things. Yeah. You need to <laughs> you need to quit some things. It need to quit. I, yeah. I'm trying to quiet quit my dissertation, <laughs> but my chair won't let me. Just hoping you weren't going to say you're quiet quitting. The people that pay you. You're like, oh, no, 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 I'm not no, quite quitting no, that. Just the people that don't pay you. You Just the people that them. don't pay me. I think that's a good rule of thumb. Yeah. How, your week's going good? Everything's great. We should probably say this will release uh, post-Veterans Day for everyone that was that was uh, celebrating and, and doing things for Veterans Day. Happy uh, Veterans Day. Yes, thank folks you that served service. in the military. Absolutely. Um, it's also will be released the day after my birthday. So happy birthday to Nadia. <laughs> No way. I yeah, did not know Sunday. this. Oh, I'm not going to tell you so how old cool. I am. Yeah, awesome. really cool. Awesome. Well, happy birthday. And, Thank you. Uh, we'll have, I have more on this a, a little later, actually. Oh, okay. Um, that's interesting. So let me move on and ask you a question because I'm so curious like what you and the general public do. When do you start putting up your Christmas lights? Uh, I believe they're called holiday lights. but Oh, um, okay. Holiday know. lights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're called Christmas lights. Come on, people. <laughs> That's fine. I'm okay with that. <laughs> I, I we put up a very few. So here in my neighborhood in Utah, mm-hmm. so there's big business now in you know in paying people to put up lights for you, put up like huge decorations all around the neighborhood. So I saw my son and I saw the truck going around the neighborhood yesterday. Actually, like it's like professional setup. Professional setups. Oh, people okay. have them up now wow. in my neighborhood now, okay. and, and like it's been a. Like pre Since Halloween, like Halloween or something, oh, and they leave them up until and they leave them up till like April. So, wow, you're stunned. You're stunned. Yeah. Well, it's, maybe it's they're ridiculous. celebrating Ramadan. Like Ramadan happens in like March, April. <laughs> maybe they're like all oh, the religions. No, it's it, it's it's Utah glee is what it is. Okay. It's like they're just just happy. That's hilarious. Do you put up holiday lights? Um, I do. I used to, I mean, you know, I used to, um, and then it just became like, I think when I started school, I was like, this is like too much of a hassle. So, (laughs) um, but what my neighbor does is she has this like projector that like 
yeah. displays all different lights. So like Halloween, it's, you can do you can change the color and it projects from like the lawn onto the house. And it's like black and white Halloween. Or if you want to do Christmas, you can do like the green. If you want to uh, the green and red, if you want to do like, you know, Passover or Hanukkah, you can. So she leaves it there year round. Year round. And it just like projects. So like whatever holiday, whatever festive mood you're in. It's kind of cool. It's like, I don't know what they call it. It's a projector. It's My dad nice. has one too, actually. Not when I think about it. <laughs> it's nice that those people exist because I'm not one of them, right? Yeah, yeah. That, that, that light things up year round. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah, so, that's true. Yeah. Should we get to the deets? Yeah, let's, let's, let's deed it up. Our top story, or our first story. There's many stories today. So, There's many stories, uh, yeah. First thing I want to talk about, employers in New York City, they recently passed, as you know, Nadia, a wage transparency law requiring employers to post salary ranges for open roles. So these employers obviously are, are uh, not surprisingly, have come up with a workaround called being a complete dick about it. So what they've oh. actually done, oh. and so Bloomberg analyzed about 400 different salary ranges posted after the law went into effect. The ranges posted have been up to 100 or $200,000, right? So employers are just not necessarily prepared and they just put out the biggest ranges possible, right? So, uh, and just as a reminder, wage transparency laws have been shown to reduce pay disparities for women and underrepresented workers across industries. So yeah. uh, any thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, like, stop being a dick about it. <laughs> I'm just and, kidding. I, I meant to say jerk. I just kidding. Jerk, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. jerk. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we obviously see the, the benefit and the value in really closing that disparity, making the workplace more equitable. So it would be a shame to find loopholes in, the, in that kind of policy or that system. I guess just continue... Folks just continue promoting um, and asking for the salary range and being more clear about that so that, uh, you know, companies have to really disclose what. Yeah, I mean, potentially you and I, so we've seen salary bans and sometimes they are that big for for a reason. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, for some of the roles in New York, right, obviously big salary ranges. Right. So that's a compensation philosophy question that people have to really go back and examine what the compensation philosophy looks like. If they are just really being jerks or they were underprepared for this change, that seems a little bit like it could be, should be questioned as well from an HR perspective. So mm-hmm. uh, California has adopted this this similar approach right. and you'll start to see it in other states. So HR people totally. need to be ready for this and need to be working on it now. Can you imagine though, Nani, if you were like, let's say I was looking at some of the things that they were posting. So a compliance director, let's say you're making $200,000 in New York. Uh, and you see a starting salary range for your position at between one hundred and eighty thousand and three hundred and sixty thousand, right? Like, what's mm-hmm. what's your first move in that case? So it's it's a risk to really put mm-hmm. huge ranges like that as well. Yeah. And so yeah. I hope they get it figured out. Do you think that there's a there's a reason for the pay range in terms of um, cost of living in certain areas? So now recognizing that work is remote, are they accounting for like one city versus another city? Or do you think it's still no? It, this is it's certainly there's a, there's a lot of things that it could be like I said it's compensation philosophy and you have yeah. to and and maybe that was always the salary ban that people had in place or a company sure. had in place, but now that it's transparent and yeah. broadcasted to the outside world, they really have to reconsider and think about it and do a better job of explaining why they do what they do. Yeah, I would recommend um, any HR folks listening to really connect with like their local HR chapters and or employee relations, people who are employment lawyers, and then also like SHRM 
SHRM folks, um, their website, because they will have, I'm sure they're doing so much research around this as like the, the law and the policies are ever evolving in certain states. So um, definitely connect with, with that. Okay. What else? We had elections last, we had uh, midterm elections uh, this past week, well, last week. And there were a lot of firsts that I really think we should talk about because representation is amazing. Um, so in Massachusetts, voters elected Democrat Mara, Mara Healy, so my new governor, um, as America's first out lesbian governor, Massachusetts first. Yeah. Um, and then Kim Driscoll became the first woman lieutenant governor for the state as well uh, for the first time. So that was really cool news for my home state, a state that you previously lived in as well. Really cool news. Um, in Florida, Maxwell Frost became the first member of Gen Z to be elected to Congress. In um, the great state of New Hampshire, they elected their first transgender man to uh, state legislature, James Ro- uh, Rosener. Alabama and Arkansas elected their first female senator and governor. I don't really want to mention their names. <laughs> Maryland elected the first black gov- their first black governor, Wes Moore, who is awesome. Love him. Um, Oklahoma elected Marilyn Mullen. I'm, so- I'm sorry, Marl Wayne Mullen as their first Native American senator in almost 100 years. Um, so just really cool first this past week. Again, representation, different voices, different backgrounds, different lenses, worldviews are so important, especially in ter- in the government, um, because, you know, from a, mis- a municipality level to your state level to your federal level, it's just really good to have different voices at the table. And so I'm really excited about the midterms. Of course, you are. Yeah, awesome on all fronts, right? I'm actually really encouraged. It wasn't just those folks that that won, but there were a lot of candidates from underrepresented backgrounds that ran and and lost. And so I think it's a great thing just to be out there and part of the political process as well. I had an election here in Utah, and you can imagine that the candidates often look exactly like the same person. You can't really distinguish between what if there's any difference in the actual person within and looking at the two pictures. Um, You know, so even at a local level. Things like you know, city council, school board, things like that. You know, people need to get out, run for level. office. Uh, look at Maxwell Frost in Florida. That's really encouraging. And yeah, you know, when totally. there's when there's legislation that comes up where it's important to have the perspective of someone who's a little bit younger, uh, maybe like someone who's 25 years old. So like tech regulation or gig worker rules, things like that. He's going to be able to add something that uh, some of the folks that are currently serving in Congress may not have been able to add previously. So really, really encouraged by what we've seen this uh, election cycle. Yeah. Um, Also, just wanted to add, because we did talk about this at the end of season one uh, related to abortion. So the topic of abortion was more salient in issues where the vote really matters, um, which was really cool to see. So people showed up and voted. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Nadia, final story. Final I want to talk about. Yep. Nadia, let's talk about beer, right? Because oh. like our good friend Brett Kavanaugh, I enjoy a good <laughs> brew. I just I just enjoy a tasty brew, right? So the story here person. is the doctor uh Dr. Pepper Keurig, or Keurig Dr. Pepper, one of the two, acquired a minority stake in non-alcoholic craft beer producer athletic brewing company in exchange for fifty million dollars. 
Athletic Brewing makes over 40 non-alcoholic beverages. The company was started when its founder, I don't know, do you know this company? It was started when its founder, Bill Schufelt, was training for an ultra marathon. He decided to quit drinking. He felt amazing. Uh, and he, but he found that the company events that he was invited to or other kind of social events were non-inclusive for people that don't drink. Yeah. So alcoholic beverage sales in the U.S. have stalled, but non-alcoholic beer sales have jumped 70% in the U.S. Uh, since 2016. Have you, seen, have you seen this brand? Have you seen it at your local Whole Foods? Mm-mm, I haven't. No? I'm just curious. Like, have you tried it? Is it like good? I have. Does it taste I have. good? Someone, okay, yeah. It, yeah. It, I mean, it, it doesn't taste good. Well, it tastes fine, you know. What does it taste like? Fruit? Like, what is it? Is it like not What's fermented that? fruit? No, there's 40 different it. types of it. So it's, yeah. but it's a good product. Is like the moment I saw the product, I was like, this is going to be a, a big thing and it's going to be oh. very helpful for a lot of people. So, and as you know, Nadia, happy hours, as I've learned, are not super inclusive events, right? So mm-hmm. um, I live in a state where most people don't drink. And so I have to think about those people when I'm planning an event. But it's also not inclusive to people that have caregiver responsibilities, people that have to rush out after work and get home in order to take care of someone or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of companies are having their events in the middle of the day. Yeah, sure. Or folks that have health concerns with drinking, right? Where they don't Yeah, absolutely. Or for religious right? reasons, whatever, sure. right? So. A great story. I think it's a great reminder that there's a fortune to be made in including people, right? And inclusion itself. Product ideas come from people being left out. We did a whole season of podcasts on this and meeting an unmet need. So the next time you feel like you're not being seen or heard, I'd say just start a company around that. And, yeah. You know, $50 million at the end of it. Totally. All the news we got today. Thanks for sharing. We will be right back. All right, everyone, we are back. Nadia, so excited yeah. to talk to our guest today. You know when Me we were setting up too. the second season? Yeah. <laughs> when we were setting up the second season, one of the things we thought about was doing a whole season on health equity. Yes. And the reason that that was so interesting to me was I spent a lot of time with our next guest, mm-hmm. being inspired by the work that she does in the healthcare space. So Dr. Juliana Simonetti is the co-director of the Comprehensive Weight Management Program at the University of Utah. She's a leader in the field of obesity medicine, is passionate about addressing the multifaceted and complex issues related to excess weight and about improving quality and access to health care for all. Dr. Simonetti faced many obstacles in achieving her medical degree as a first-generation immigrant and has worked to make the path easier and more equitable for students that come from minoritized backgrounds. She serves at, on the Utah School of Medicine's Admissions Committee, and as co-director for Promise to You, a program created to facilitate medical school admissions for students from backgrounds underrepresented in medicine. She has been published in many peer-reviewed journals, has authored several book chapters, and serves as an advisor and consultant to startups, venture funds, and many other uh, endeavors as well. She's truly incredible what she does, and she has such a profound impact on so many. We're so lucky to have her. And I am incredibly lucky to be married to her. Dr. Juliana Simonetti, welcome to Inclusive Collective. Well, thank you, Rob. I, I think you're slightly biased in your introduction, so I don't know how much it's the I'll humblest take that intro. Into- it's the humblest intro I've ever seen. You're, she, she literally works nonstop. So <laughs> welcome. It. So good to have you. Thanks for doing this. I know. Yes. Well, thank you for inviting me. And again, I'm biased on the other way. I'm a big fan. So I think I may have only missed a few episodes, but I love the work that you both do. 
And you both have really done an amazing job with Inclusive Collective over the last two seasons now. So thank you. Well, thank you. Well, yeah. it is so good to have you with us, Dr. Simonetti. I, my first question is actually unrelated to your profession. Can you tell me a good story about Rob? What, what, <laughs> what are his quirks? Well, well, we have a lot of good stories. I think we're sharing a story right before we started this episode that maybe we might not want to share. Yeah, yeah. It may yeah. make yeah. it uninclusive. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yes. I'll get yeah, the yeah. details maybe from you offline. Yes, yes. We, we, we can talk more about that later. Um, so for the, for the first real question. So um, there was an article in the New York Times a couple weeks ago about how there are some doctors who discriminate about people living with disabilities or have bias um, towards that community, maybe unconscious bias towards that community. The article was speaking about people with accessibility issues. And I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of overlap with the patients that you see um, that are living with obesity. And I was just curious, what have you seen in your experience in terms of how people with obesity are treated by our healthcare system? Like, what are some of those disparities? Yeah, no, it's really unfortunate that patients face this kind of discrimination. You think that healthcare will be a place where people are accepting and willing to see those patients. And um, systematically, there's a lot of systematic racism and issues that we know within the health system. The way the system is set up doesn't also, you know, just addressing the article in particular, the way that the questions were being asked and how much time physicians do spend with patients, mm -hmm. that the time was so limited that sometimes with patients with disability requiring additional, mm -hmm. you know, time for mobility or care that really put a lot of pressure on physicians. But it's because of the way their system is set up, right? That we have visits every 15 minutes instead of being, you know, maybe I could set up more time. Uh, in seeing a patient that would require additional care, but the way the reimbursement is, you're not paid to, you know, I can provide a lot of counseling and my counseling is not worth the same as if I do a biopsy or if I do a procedure that might take me less time and it might require less time with my patient. So, you know, some of the problems come from the systematic approach of healthcare that we do have. However, in addressing obesity, obesity bias and stigma is pervasive in our society. And that goes with healthcare as well. And it comes from this belief that obesity is a choice, mm, right? That mm -hmm. people choose to gain weight. And what I can tell you, my patients do not choose to have health issues. Sure. And they all really have struggled. I had a patient recently that, you know, and it's heartbreaking when you hear those stories, when my patients come in, and you hear the stories that they weren't able to access the care that they needed or that they were dismissed because of their weight, that all they are being told, go home, die and exercise mm -hmm. and you should And that'll solve everything. <laughs> right. It would solve everything. I come for my toenail and someone is telling me, and that's why my patient said, I come to have my toenail looked at it and someone is telling me, go die and exercise, mm -hmm. go lose weight. And that's why you ripped your toenail, which might not be related at all. But they make that implication. They really only focus on the their weight and don't necessarily give the right tools for patients to lose weight. Therefore, that stigma translates to me not wanting to access care. And there are multiple studies that looked at patients that have suffered stigma from healthcare, in particular within primary care. They're less likely to go for their pap smears mm -hmm. or their routine care 
because they don't want to feel shame and embarrassed. And uh, the, and also, we don't have the appropriate settings, right? We don't have maybe bigger tables. We have smaller gowns. Or scales, we have, I had a patient even, right? Scales, yeah, right? Yeah. There's so many stories on that particular article. They talk about patients having to go someplace else to be, you know, to measure their weight. And knowing how far we have gotten, right? That, that we do have those resources that we should be using in every clinic. So part of, I think, the work that we do as obesity medicine specialists is really to advocate for our patients, but also to educate our colleagues on the issues around healthcare. And there's so many layers. There's education, right? We don't get enough education. The reason why I got interested in obesity mm. as, you know, obesity treatment and obesity as a specialty is because I was working in a primary care clinic in Boston doing residency. And I felt all my patients that were coming in had issues with their weight. Then, then they had heart conditions. They had high blood pressure. They had diabetes, prediabetes, all the problems that were due to obesity or to their weight. And no one was addressing that. Everyone was happy in addressing all the complications associated with their weight, but not or like Not the medicine open or willing treatment. right it was, yeah, it was i felt like it was a, we're we're band-aiding the problem mm -hmm. right we're just we're just band-aiding the problem by addressing all the other problems without really giving them good tools to address their weight to help them with weight loss and my patients in particular lower you know seeing a lot of immigrant patients lower income uh, kind of like working poor mm -hmm. and they were spending money that they didn't necessarily have in getting over the counter you know, they're desperate for, to get help. Yes. And we're telling them that we we don't have the tools to help you. And they were searching for those tools someplace else. They weren't effective and were quite costly. So it, it's very, very unfortunate. I think we're making progress. And, you know, again, part of what we do is educating. So starting with the medical schools, like make sure at least in the four years, we have a two-hour session in the medical school that we teach about. Mm -hmm. At least there's some. When I went to med school, nothing. there was really no, yeah. nothing, right? And we're, we're seeing patients all the time, and we really, really didn't know what to do. So I was able to seek additional um, training in obesity treatment at that time, even doing residency, and ended up doing this obesity fellowship, which uh, there were only like three or four in the country. And that was, you know, in 2011. Oh, wow. Now we have about 22, wow. but it still doesn't address, you know, improvement, right. but it's still thinking of a population need that still doesn't address our whole population need. There is board certification to provide additional training for physicians now within, you know, that are caring for patients with obesity, but we are far from where we need to be. I wanted to ask you about that progress, right? So mm -hmm. on one hand, we still have society and physicians that see obesity as a choice. And on the other hand, we've reached this interesting point where there's a movement around body positivity, right? So, uh, you know, the idea that you're healthy at any weight, which is great. And it's obviously very inclusive. We want people to feel good about who they are. But at the extremes, there's a movement to really say that obesity isn't even a thing. Um, you know, at the extremes, right? So, so how do you think about body positivity versus health problems uh, or the, the problems of, of the health yeah. problems inherent in, in, in having obesity? So I think there are two issues, right? And I think it's great that people in general are feeling more empowered and, and building on self-esteem. I think that's wonderful. And I come from, you know, I'm from Brazil where People in particular, the females, I feel like sometimes they ooze confidence, right? Like it doesn't feel very sexy regardless of their body shape. 
is just a really interesting options here. I think it's really important to have that level of self-esteem, to feel confident with your body. That's a different issue than a health issue. So we understand that, you know, that obesity is a disease and it has significant impact on your overall health. I see people every day, unfortunately, they're suffering from, from that. Um, the excess weight has the impact in your heart. We see patients with you know, heart failure now at very young ages because you just your body cannot handle um, excess volume. We are seeing patients with fatty liver disease that ended up having, unfortunately, liver cirrhosis and might need liver transplant. Um, we have patients that have diminished mobility because of the, the pressure in their lower extremity joints, like on their knee mm-hmm. joints, on their hips, so that there's so many health issues. And we know of those health issues and we have insulin resistance, higher rates of diabetes. Uh, the, the problems go on and now they have some association with increasing weight in, in uterine cancer for females, breast cancer and some GI cancers. So, I mean, we, we have that knowledge. So, it's great to make progress on feeling comfortable in your body and having self-esteem. Um, however, obesity is a disease and we can't ignore the health impact it has. It's just how we approach it. In a clinic like ours, we do have registered dietitians. We have exercise physiologists. We have surgeons, but also have physicians who specialize in obesity medicine. We can provide the medications are incredible now. The new slew of like new anti-obesity medications and how much weight loss they promote. One of the newer ones that's pending FDA approval, average weight loss of 52 pounds, which is incredible, right? So the progress we have made is really incredible and having all the tools to help our patients is really important. And I think that with the stigma, people internalize that stigma Mm -hmm. and just feel that they, they have weak willpower, and they're, you know, just if they work harder that they would succeed. And now we see too, like with the insurance companies, this is a constant fight that we have and requires yeah. so much effort is access, right? Now we have all those great tools and guess what? Access to the tools are not available. The insurance companies still think that obesity is a choice and we can treat every complication of obesity, but we're not willing to treat obesity. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes I, I say this all the time with my patients, almost like wish they have diabetes because I can use some of the medications that I know are going to be very effective. They are approved for both diabetes and weight loss. They do not approve it for weight loss, but they will approve it for the treatment of diabetes. Mm-hmm. You know, it makes no sense. Yeah. And, and, and again, it goes on this pervasive issue of weight stigma and this belief that excess weight and obesity is a choice. Yeah. Dr. Simonetti, I'm so cu- curious too um the previous kind of like solution was like eat and exercise like that was what you're saying i'm curious because like even the knowledge around nutrition has evolved so much in the last like 20 years even access to food like it's more expensive i was just joking with my friends this past weekend it's more expensive to buy um like you know something like spinach or kale than like a hamburger at mcdonald's like the access is just so incredibly hard to even any sort of like healthier options. It, does that play a part in the conversations that you have with with your patients? Yes, absolutely. Right. Access. And, and, and again, the reason why I love this field is because it's so complex and there are so many socioeconomic issues that go into someone making a choice of what they eat or having access to healthier foods. And I see patients like that often that literally are 
saying, I run out of money before I'm able to buy more food. So in, you know, we are assessing our patients for food insecurity. And food insecurity plays a big role in the obesity epidemic. And when we look at disparities among obesity, in particular, it impacts more people of color, BIPOC communities. And it has to do with, you know, some of it has to do with food access. Socioeconomic food, uh, environment. Socioeconomics, environment. There's a lot of studies that show lower um, educational levels um, tend to have higher rates of obesity. And then when you look at, at the rates of obesity, non-Hispanic African-Americans or non-Hispanic um, Blacks have much higher rates of obesity, followed by Hispanics, then followed by, you know, whites and then Asians. But just thinking of access of food, access to health care, you know, there are other practices too when you think of targeting, marketing towards communities of color um, for more the high calorie foods, for more fast foods, thinking of food deserts where, you know, they have the supermarkets and they have farmers market even. Um, So there's a lot of public health issues that go along with what we are facing right now that we do need to make changes. Um, So for our clinic, we have a food pharmacy where we give a prescription for healthier foods. Again, doesn't solve all the problem, but at least is one small step towards the right direction. I think even thinking of the kids' access to food during the pandemic, right? If they weren't going to school, they weren't really getting healthier foods. And think of the food that's being served in school, right? right? Yeah, are we sure we could call that healthy food? Yeah, like pizza, right? It's like, I mean, I'm sure there's been some the chicken nuggets who are yeah, not chicken really chicken. Fries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it is food. Yeah. yeah, technically, right? But probably overly processed because it's easier to make, right? And it's easily cheaper, cheaper, right? right? A lot cheaper. And then you think of the amount of sodium and you think uh, how that all, you know, the amount of like saturated fats and the impact that has in your overall health and you're starting at a younger age and then moving on to, right? Because kids that experience um, rapid weight gain or obesity in childhood, then you're much more likely to then have obesity as an adult. And that kind of makes sense. And you can see the rates also uh, significantly increasing of obesity, uh, not just of obesity, but severe obesity among the pediatric population. Mm. And again, with the higher impacts of communities of color and then the American Indian population too, when you look at the rates of obesity in the pediatric population is over a third of their population has uh, been impacted by obesity. So there's so many, and I, I was part of a, a symposium recently and just talking to the community about I can get healthier foods. I don't have money for healthier foods or I have to travel. All I have is a 7-Eleven and, you know, in the corner store that I go to and a lot of it is the packaged food that I have access to. The land that I live doesn't even produce healthier. You know, we, I, I talked to some of communities from the Navajo tribe that they say, you know, the land is terrible. Like I can't even grow food even if I wanted right. to grow food because I was giving this terrible land, right? So just thinking historically the impact of all the things we have done over the years and the impact it has on communities. There's also really interesting history around fast foods within Black communities, in particular McDonald's. There's a whole book called, I think, Franchise, about the history around that. And it, to me, it's fascinating around the civil uh, rights era that McDonald's was open to um, have Black owners um franchising for McDonald's in their communities and that that became a place where people met. So food means so many things Mm. and is so 
right? This relationship yeah. we have with food. And I think culturally we all can can relate oh, yeah. to that. It was I was just as you were talking, right. I was like saturated when you mentioned saturated fats and like salty food, I was like samosas, pakoras, <laughs> like all of the Pakistani Indian type oh, dishes that goodness. we eat. Like that's just what we grew up on. All right? the best stuff is what it all, has all the best I know. Fat. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I, no, I, Rob. Rob can certainly relate to that with the Brazilian, the the salt layer on the top of the like the Brazilian steak oh, or yeah. the Brazilian cheese bread, because each one is like 150 calories. So all kinds of yeah. amazing things. I have so. a very high salt tolerance at this point. So um, I do want to stick with the that intersection of race and healthcare outcomes as well, and or just the healthcare system as well. So you are a Latina. Right. Like, so I know you have to explain yes. that to, to, to sometimes um, you speak Portuguese and Spanish. So can you talk a little bit about what it means to your patients to either see someone who looks like them or who could communicate with them in their language? What What does that do for patient outcomes? Yeah. And we know that there is plenty of data on that area, too, that having physicians that come from communities of color, they're much more likely to care for their community. And also this, this uh, ability to develop trust among and having building that relationship among the physician and the patient. And I certainly experienced that. I just had a patient recently tell me how it's like was very excited that, I, you know, she's like, I haven't seen a brown doctor in a while, you know. So yeah, yeah. So that, that does have an impact in the relationship you can have with the patient. And it, and it goes again, historically, that makes sense. Right. Trust, understanding. And what really drove me into getting to medicine is um, so I was a recent immigrant from Brazil. I came from Brazil when I was 15. My mom had some health issues. They would pull me out of like school. I was in high school. I got pulled out of school so many times to go translate for my mom in the, the hospital because they yeah. didn't have right the interpreter. And I feel like a lot of kids of immigrants, mm -hmm. we a lot of us can relate mm -hmm. to that experience. Right? I'll be like, oh, I do not want to hear yeah. what the doctor had to tell you. Totally. Thanks for having me in the room. You know. So just the communication, the trust. Where my family, I remember they were like, I do not trust those doctors. Because they don't know what they're talking mm. about, you know, or even the understanding of, you know, the what culture. else, what other, yeah, you know, like, the culture. Yeah. And like, you know, I know a lot of my, you know, my Latino patients might use Herbalife and I'll be like, so what kind of Herbalife are we using? Mm -hmm. Right. What's what's on it? So let's pull out the bottles. Let's look what, what you know, doesn't mean it's natural. That is like it has so many layers of impact in health outcomes and we have data to show that. Mm -hmm. So, and that's why also I have devoted so much of my time in my career to really help students from minority backgrounds into getting to medicine. There's so yeah. many barriers. Tell me more about that because what are some of the learnings yeah. um, through kind of that work that you're doing? Trying to attract people into the meta, the kind of the medicine field and getting them, you know, the support that they may, they might need through medical school into residency and so forth. What are some of the learnings, like the challenges, all of that that you're seeing? It's amazing. The challenges are numerous. So starting with, you know, having role models, right? We just don't have enough role models. When you look at the numbers of Black physicians, it has increased from 3 to 5% in comparison to our population is minimal. Um, Latino physicians, similar. There's not enough role models. There's not enough guidance, right? So if I'm the first one in my family to attend college or to attend medical school in a system that's completely different, mm -hmm. it's very challenging. And so even filling out applications for medical school, 
if you don't fill up the application correctly, like if you put in the wrong amount of community, you don't know what, what cons is considered community service versus not community service. If you don't have the right connections in shattering physicians, if you don't have the right connections to be able to do research, you already start in a much lower disadvantage kind of place. Yeah, sure. And it takes you so much more effort. And when you think of standardized testing, I'll, you know, not just for medical school, but when you look for law school and master's sure. degree, the GMAT, the LSATs, the MCAT, all these standardized tests have a certain level of bias. In general, students of color, BIPOC or minoritized students tend to score slightly lower in all tests across the board than their white counterparts. And again, you can think of all the reasons of what that is. But you come at a disadvantage. And I was just having this conversation earlier today, how being a Latina or being a minority in medicine, from the time you start, it's almost like, well, you're only guided in because you're a minority mm. or, you know, and that sticks with you. And it leads to this wanting to overperform to demonstrate that I, you know, I do I deserve, deserve to, to be, be here. here. There's right. always, yeah. yes, there's always the imposter syndrome. That goes on in multiple, right? And, and the way the system is set up is such a hierarchical profession that it really takes a lot. You know, things obviously are changing and I think they're improving in all different areas and efforts into getting more minorities into medicine and in getting minorities in maybe more competitive residencies and fields that were not known to have minority physicians or female physicians. So things are getting better, but there's still so many struggles finances right so if i have the if i have funding i can do a test prep and maybe i can do better and they standardize testing and maybe right. i'm scoring higher therefore i have right yeah. getting coaching with the program that we have really setting up the behavior health aspect because there's so much that impacts your 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 mental health right this chronic bias and stigma and discrimination is extreme. every day <laughs> right right Every it's day, real. I can tell you. I mean, the list can go on. Like yeah. every day, like at dinner time, I can tell you about a story that something that happened that has you know, and and you shake it off, and you're like, you can't let everything bother yeah. you. But how much that has an impact on your subconscious and in the way you behave and your level of stress? And we know that levels of stress can impact your health, sure. your well being. So. There's so much more. So for our students, we do have behavior health support. We do have a learning specialists. So it's really like teaching people how to learn and coach them because no one ever teaches you. You know, I didn't learn how to learn. And so I went into medical school and I still I, I know the person who was my coach in medical school that I, I have met or have worked with recently. And I say, you saved me. And he's like, really? And I was like, oh, literally, you saved yeah. me. Because you taught me how to learn. And um, so teaching students how to learn, what kind of learners they are, and inspiring that confidence because there's so much imposter syndrome that I don't deserve to be here. I shouldn't be here. And really reinforcing the idea, no, you should. You should. There's Your no reason to think in any way. Yeah. Their community needs you and the impact you can have in your community is incredible. And sometimes I get teary with some of my students who... I know they're just going to, you know, they're fabulous and they're going to be such amazing physicians and they're going to be able to connect with their community in a different way that someone else would and, and really would help save lives and impact their patients' lives. And that's that's what means so much to me. And that's why I do the work that I do. I love Dr. Giuliana Simonetti, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you so much for all that you do. 
And uh, we learned a ton today and, and, and look forward to uh, maybe you'll come back and see us sometime. Yes. Please come back. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And maybe I'll have better. Maybe I'll have some stories for you. Nadia, I would love after, that. After the show. More Rob so, quirks. Yes. I would love that. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Thank, Thank you for you. having Thanks me. Thanks so for much. Joining. We'll be right back. Welcome back from our conversation with Dr. Juliana Simonetti. Nadia, you got a taste of what I hear uh, a lot, not every day, but some of the things that, that we talk about quite a bit. What were your yeah. impressions or what are your uh, takeaways from the conversation? Well, remember how you want to creep up into my like best friend hierarchy, <laughs> like level one? I think she might be creeping up into that. She's wonderful. She's a leapfrog, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. She she's really great. Um, as she was sharing kind of like her own stories of what prompted her not only to get into the field of medicine, but also like what she sees in terms of um, maybe underestimated or underrepresented medical students is mm -hmm. that, you know, I go with my mom to her doctor's appointments and we have physicians in our family who could easily explain things to my mother. My mom's not a physician. But she goes on her own and she always feels more comfortable with me coming because her physician now is, you know, a white, pleasant lady, but really like doesn't explain things because like, again, they're on like this time constraint and like right. may not take the time to explain certain things to my mom and she feels nervous and she, you know, as she's building trust because it is a newer doctor. And, you know, growing up, we both had the same doctor, which was this Indian woman who had we had a little bit more trust built because of that cultural kind of um, relation. It's wild. My mom speaks like perfect English, but yeah. she just still has this like hesitancy. And so I was just thinking of like, I have a lot of friends whose parents either don't speak English or English as a second language. And I know that they're they as children of immigrants help them in those conversations with the with the doctors. And so I just feel like how great it is to have uh, Dr. Simonetti really focus on that, you know, pave the way. And then obviously the conversation around obesity awareness, which is, you know, it is a disease. And I think it's easier said than done to just be like, go lose weight and, and you know, change your nutrition and exercise. It, there's a lot more to it, genetically, environmentally, socioeconomics that plays a part. And also, we can't forget, we don't have universal health care. So provider right, experience right. is not really great either. But what yeah. were your takeaways? I mean, you, yeah, I'm curious what you thought. I, you know, I, like I said, I, I, I hear a lot of this. One thing that I hadn't ever put together was, you know, I've known her family for, you know, well over over 20 years at this point. And they they all hate the doctors here. They all hate the healthcare system here. And, you know, so they'll they'll go back to Brazil to see the doctor. And I'm always like, I'm pretty sure that we have doctors that can do that here. Yeah. And I'm like, why do they, you know, it's why like do they, they think that our medical system sucks so much? And the answer is because it does suck for them, right? They have a different experience than I have when they go and see a doctor and in, in, in the way that they're treated versus the way that I'm treated. It sucks for me too, actually. But but it, it's worse yeah. for them. So um, so that I, I kind of put all that together and thinking about why they do some of the things that they do after that sure. conversation. So um, so again, thanks for, for Dr. Simonetti. Hope yes. we'll have her back at some point. Could yeah, be years. Could be that. years before we have her back. But um, So oh. let's do uh, rants and raves. And I wanted to switch it up a little bit. 
So you're going to rant. And I was hoping okay. you could rant first because I have something a little okay. different for my rant. Oh, yeah. That and, is I, and I want to join in your we rant. Want the as negativity well. out first. Okay. <laughs> Well, my rant today, Rob, there's a lot of layoffs happening, in case you didn't know. Okay. My my rant, um, so, you know, both of us have been through this process. It's it's not the best feeling, right, when, like, especially during the holidays right now when you're getting laid off. So Meta cut 11,000 jobs this week. Twitter made about 3,700 job cuts. Lyft made about 700. The list goes on and on. Microsoft, Netflix, Coinbase, uh, Robinhood. So Tesla. I just wanted to remind organizations and and CEOs and people in like the the people practices HR like realm, like keep it classy, be humanistic about this process. Like don't be greedy. Offer like good severance packages. Offer continuous benefits of like healthcare or what have you. Offer like the networking opportunities. Like hell, if you can offer another role in another group in another department um, then that like might be hiring like do that cross-skilling is easy like give these employees the courtesy that they deserve um am i projecting because <laughs> <laughs> like, i've i've experienced it twice and both were like so shitty that it's like <laughs> i just don't want and i feel and you know i i am privileged in many ways and there are people that are not and so I just um, I just really hope that these organizations are taking this humanistic approach to the layoffs. Yeah, I think the, the good news on the bright side is these are really rich companies that you're talking about with the yeah. big numbers of layoffs. Tech companies. You know, I think the deplorable part, to borrow uh, a phrase from our good friend Hillary Clinton, um, frequent listener, by the way, yeah, is yeah. that, you know, is a lot of these CEOs have said in an effort to to keep it classy, a lot of the CEOs have come out and said, I've tried to take responsibility. They said, hey, I just didn't see it coming. I thought that the growth that we were experiencing was going to go on forever. And that, to me, is like the part that I find incredible. It's like almost like mm. managerial leadership malpractice, right? It's like fake They say news. we hired too much. Like if you, anytime your revenue looks like a 45 degree angle, right? Like this, like it's just going, yeah. it's just going like a rocket ship up. That's not going to happen forever, right? Yeah. And so you need to be very careful when you're starting to hire in those periods because you will have to lay people off if you get, right. you know, a little bit too, too far over your skis. So, you know, we'll talk about this again. I think we're going to talk about a lot layoffs a lot in the next few weeks. Um, but obviously, this is super damaging in terms of psychological safety for the people that stay. I've been a manager that had to lay people off. It's tough. On the people that have to deliver this message, that when you certainly didn't have anything to do with the fact that you hired too many people in the first place, you know we know that psychological safety is so important to develop an inclusive culture. So uh, I will join you in in ranting mm-hmm. as well, and 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 hopefully that people have learned from past layoffs and will do a better job this time. That being said, anyone that is laid off or impacted, if you need to connect with us or we can connect you with someone in our network, please feel free to reach out to us. For sure. So what is your sure. rave today? So my rave, Nadia, so this, so uh, since it's family week, and I didn't know that it was it was your birthday, but I just wanted to, so this week is my son's 10th birthday. Oh, no. And okay. He's a so, Scorpio, too. <laughs> he is. And so, so life is short, and God knows, you know, for his 11th birthday, there may no, you know, I may not be around for podcasts. You may have let me go at that point. Um <laughs> So I didn't want to miss the Never. chance to say to my son, Samuel, happy birthday. 
He is, you know, the super cool, brilliant, funny. Uh, Soccer player. Very sweet kid. He's everything yeah. a parent, you know, hopes for when they have a, when they have a kid. So happy birthday, Samuel. Love you very much. Uh, and I just want to make sure that I said that. Oh, happy birthday, Samuel. I hope you enjoy your day. That's I will have to fast forward through a lot of yeah, the, he's the parts gonna that look, I said well, earlier. He might listen but to mom. He might he'll listen, listen to, mom. to mom, the part where I, whatever, whatever I said earlier. So, yes. Yeah, so happy birthday and, and, uh, and looking forward to many more. That's great. Happy birthday. Well, folks, um, Inclusive Collective is a production of Refillion Media. We would love to hear from you. So send us your feedback at inclusivecollective at refillion.com. You can also find us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and um, Twitter. If you like what you have heard, be sure to subscribe and rate us wherever you get your podcasts. Share with share it with your friends. Um, and if you want to get in touch with and us. And your enemies, even. <laughs> enemies. That's right. Um, if you would like to get in touch with us for consulting purposes, check, uh, check you can check me out at nasconsultants.com and rob at sacanoconsulting.com. Thanks again to our guest, Dr. Juliana Simonetti. Um, we'll be back next week. Be well. Happy birthday, Nadia. <laughs>